The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Racism, guns, and the horse they rode in on. Welcome to my weekly report for Thursday, August 8, 2019. Thank you for listening to this independent news, which appreciates your support through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. For all the horrific images we've seen this week of all the photographs and videos, the image of a handcuffed black man being led down the street by two white cops on horseback was the most profound. The man had been arrested for trespassing and was being led to a police station on a leash like an animal. The police chief of Galveston, Texas, has apologized to the man and his family. He accused the officers of poor judgment and called their actions inappropriate and embarrassing. He says this method of arrest won't be used going forward. And yet, it isn't clear how or even if these officers will be disciplined. But the image of those white uniformed police officers leading a handcuffed black man down the street on a leash and the delay and any punishment for it says so much about this country and about this week in the news. The horrors that have unfolded before our eyes this past week are no more an end to white domestic terrorism than they are a beginning. The white supremacist movement that began in a long bygone era has survived for more than 200 years, and there's every indication it's going to get worse. That's the word from the FBI, which virtually stands alone in a less-than-adequate response to the clear and present danger of white nationalism. That it's going to get worse is also what we're hearing from former white supremacists, the few who now deeply regret they ever went down that path. One of those is Christian Picciolini. He joined a neo-Nazi group three decades ago, but for the past 20 years, he's tried to pull others out of that movement. He warns that white terrorists are each on a mission to outdo Timothy McVeigh, who killed more than 100 people when he bombed a federal building in Oklahoma City in 1995. Picciolini warns that even gun control won't stop these white terrorists. He tells The Atlantic, I have to ask myself, do we have white nationalist airline pilots? There have to be, he said, adding, I knew people in powerful positions in politics and law enforcement who were secretly white nationalists. I think we're stupid and selfish, he says, to think we don't have them in the truck driving industry. Picciolini says he's been warning for two decades that the white supremacist ideology has been spreading into the mainstream. He wants fundings for programs that will help pull people out of extremism. He says he knows it can be done. He even arranged for one white nationalist to meet a Muslim imam, and the two men now break falafel together on a regular basis. Quoting this former skinhead, some of the rhetoric coming from the very top is emboldening extremists. More specifically about Trump, he says he's very good at kicking little buckets of gasoline over sparks of fire that already exist. As reported here two weeks ago, Trump began his recent and most public display of racism by telling women of color who are American citizens to go back where they came from. As reported here two weeks ago, Trump was inspired to tweet that after seeing Fox News Channel host Tucker Carlson attack these four Democratic congresswomen. On his Tuesday night show this week, Carlson declared that white supremacy isn't a real problem in America. This is a hoax, he said, just like the Russian hoax. As Robert Mueller has proven, the Russian attack was not and still is not a hoax. Fox News viewers had not seen the video of the black man on a rope. But they saw Tucker Carlson say that white supremacy is a hoax. 
Donald Trump likely saw it too. The similarities between foreign and domestic terror are striking. President Obama pointed them out in a rare public statement this week in the wake of the weekend's two mass gun killings. Obama also wrote that Americans should, quote, soundly reject language coming out of the mouths of any of our leaders that feeds a climate of fear and hatred or normalizes racist sentiments. But Obama also pointed to the stark similarities between domestic terrorism and foreign-based terror, and experts agree. White nationalist domestic terrorism has more in common with Islamic State terrorism than just the T-word. Both white supremacist terror and radicalized Islamic terror share a view that the world will end if they don't act. Both believe they have a God on their side. Both use random yet dramatic violence. Both forms of terrorism take advantage of angry men looking for a cause through which they can vent that anger. And both can stir that pot with social media, which has made it so much easier for radical Islamists to find each other, so much easier for white nationalists to find each other. The Internet is where hatred goes viral. It's also where those fighting terrorism can monitor what they're saying and planning, which is why it's both good and bad that the online group 8chan has been shut down, at least for now. Russia has also contributed to the rise of white nationalism in the U.S. with its divisive ads and posts and memes capitalizing on this country's racial divide. Since domestic terrorism now takes more lives than foreign-based terrorism in this country, a growing number of people believe it's time to shift our focus. The U.S. still uses all manner of military and intelligence tools to contain Islamic terror and dedicates a whole lot less effort to fighting domestic terror. And we've dedicated even fewer resources to domestic terror in an administration in which the White House counterterrorism advisor no longer reports directly to the president. The Trump administration has disbanded a homeland security program that aimed to fight terrorism violence at a local level in places like El Paso or Dayton. And domestic terror is harder to fight than foreign-born terrorism. The Patriot Act, enacted after 9-11, gives authorities broad powers to prevent attacks, to use wiretapping or to go undercover online to talk with the plotters. There's a federal law that defines domestic terrorism, but that law does not assign any legal penalties for being part of it. Unlike with foreign terror, there is no agency for designating terror groups. American terrorists are charged with gun violations, hate crimes, and conspiracy, but cannot be charged with terrorism. There is a law to punish those who give material support to foreign terrorists. There is no such law for domestic terror. A growing number of Americans and intelligence officials believe it's time for a change in focus. But CNN reports that the White House has for more than a year brushed off efforts by Homeland Security to make that shift. Concerned about the rise of white supremacists, DHS kept pushing and the Trump White House kept resisting. That year-plus delay has left the Homeland Security effort more than a year behind. Most of the nations of the world have had no mass shootings this year. As for our neighbors, Mexico had three, Canada had one, the U.S. had 251. And the U.S. now has them regularly, adding to a list of 165 mass shootings that date back to 1966, killing nearly 1,200 people, nearly 200 of whom are children. 
Our two most recent public gun massacres happened within hours of each other, about a week after yet another mass shooting. The U.S. had three of these shootings in eight days, more than Mexico had in eight months. And although it doesn't officially count as a mass shooting because it wasn't a single incident, 40 people were also shot in Chicago over this past weekend. Three of them died in addition to the 31 deaths in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio. The latest round of American carnage began on the last Sunday of July, the shooting at a food festival in Gilroy, California, that killed three people and wounded 13 others as the gunman fired 39 rounds into the crowd. The 19-year-old Gilroy shooter was armed with a military-style assault rifle and six high-capacity ammunition clips, one of which held 70 rounds of bullets. That case, like the more recent slaughter in El Paso, is now being investigated as domestic terrorism because the shooter had a hit list that included federal buildings, courthouses, political groups from both parties, and religious institutions. The shooter in Gilroy is said to have had mixed ideologies. The most recent gun massacre was in Dayton. It was the work of a deeply troubled individual who had assembled a hit list for killing and another one for raping. And although we will never know his motive because he was quickly killed by police in an effort to save lives, there's no evidence his motive was to respond what had happened 13 hours earlier in El Paso or that politics had played a role. Police say the Dayton shooter was exploring various ideologies and that it isn't clear whether he had settled on one. In the Dayton massacre, the shooter used a magazine that held 100 bullets. He killed nine people, including his sister, and wounded two dozen others in less than a minute. The El Paso slaughter of 22 people, dozens of others wounded or hurt, was carried out with an AK-47 type rifle by a man who had driven 10 hours on a mission to kill immigrants. The El Paso gunman killed more people than had the gunman at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High in the previous Trump administration record holder. Of the 10 deadliest active shooter situations since Trump took office, four of them, nearly half, occurred at the hands of white supremacists. And although the motives in Gilroy and Dayton and El Paso may have differed, they had one thing in common, the guns. Not just any guns. Hundred-round magazines and assault rifles are weapons of war, and Americans keep buying them. And as American gun sales in general have grown, the number of kids under age four shot to death has doubled. In the Gilroy and El Paso shootings, many of the victims were children. In El Paso, kids were shopping for back to school. Only they won't be going back to school. In 2016, Donald Trump appeared at 275 campaign rallies. A Washington Post study found that in the counties where Trump appeared, there was a rise in hate crimes that was 226% greater than the increases in communities where Trump had not appeared. A former FBI profiler told CNN that people filled with hate are more likely to act on that hate when they believe their views are vindicated by someone superior to them, a religious leader, for example, or a president. Hate crimes went up 17% in 2016 during the Trump campaign. They increased by another 17% in 2017, his first year in office. When white supremacists marched in Charlottesville and one of them killed a protester, the president praised the very fine people on both sides. When the New Zealand shooter killed 50 Muslims in a mosque, he called immigrants invaders. Hours later, Trump, who had tried to ban Muslims from entering the U.S. and who'd called Mexicans rapists, would use that same term as the gunman. He, too, called them 
invaders just hours after that New Zealand shooting and trying to fire up the Republican base ahead of last year's midterm elections. Trump called the overwhelming immigration to the U.S. an invasion. He has used that word invasion many times since, referring to the brown people crossing our southern border. Just this year, the Trump 2020 campaign has posted more than 2,000 ads on Facebook that include the word invasion and other grim warnings about the immigrants crossing our southern border. And the Trump 2020 campaign says, despite the attention called to it, it has no intention to stop using the word invasion. The campaign has already spent well over a million dollars just on the invasion ads. Trump's used the word often enough that other Republican politicians and Republican voters have started using it. In a written statement left behind by the El Paso shooter, he also referred to the wave of immigrants as an Hispanic invasion for the purpose of replacing whites. At a Florida rally three months ago, Trump complained to the Red Hats he's not allowed to use military force to stop the flow of immigrants. We can't let them use weapons, said Trump. Other countries do. We can't. But how do you stop these people? One of his supporters shouted, shoot them. The crowd of Trump supporters laughed. Trump snickered. Only in the panhandle, he joked about Florida's most conservative counties. That's only in the panhandle you can get away with that stuff, he said. Evil has existed for as long as mankind itself. Racism in America has deep, centuries-old roots, as recounted here last week. And it has appeared repeatedly in this president, from Obama's birth certificate to barnyard epithets about African countries to calling a mostly black city a place where no human would want to live to mocking a break-in at Congressman Elijah Cummings' house to telling non-white American citizens who are sworn members of Congress to go back where they came from. He said he wants immigrants from places like Norway, the whitest nation on earth. He's continued to call immigrants aliens, even though most other Republicans now agree that's a dehumanizing term and they don't use it anymore. He's even referred to those fleeing violence and poverty as insects, calling their arrival at the U.S. an infestation. As president, he surrounded himself with advisors who are anti-immigration so radically other Republican presidents refuse to have anything to do with these people. During his presidency, there have been eight active shooter situations in which people died at the hands of a neo-Nazi or white supremacist. Sixty-five people died. Trump said very little over the weekend as he continued to golf at taxpayer expense at one of his resorts. Trump played through the mass shootings, telling reporters before his return to D.C. that He'd ordered federal government flags to be flown at half-staff in honor of the 31 people killed and that he would address the nation Monday morning at 10 a.m. The Republicans who currently control government nationally and in the states where the massacres occurred also had little to say, but you could see the groundwork being laid for where they were headed. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick blamed mental illness, social media, and violent video games. At least one Republican cited the nation's loss of faith. There was no mention of the lack of laws to keep war weapons out of the hands of the general public, nor about the universal background checks that 90% of Americans favor, nor about an emergency session of Congress, nor about what should be done. Led by the Senate Majority Leader, Republicans have ignored calls to end their summer vacations to deal with the crisis. Mitch McConnell's nickname magically morphed from Moscow Mitch to Massacre Mitch since he is the one refusing to allow a Senate vote on two gun control bills passed earlier this year in the House. 
citizens slammed Congress for not doing anything about gun violence. But half the Congress already has. It's McConnell's half we're still waiting on. And even if the Senate were to pass these bills, Trump had already said he would veto them. The stubborn refusal by Republicans to give an inch on gun safety for over 20 years not only kept the needle from moving, it allowed the violence to increase. It was the 1990s, the last time the two parties were able to agree on a gun measure and not even the slaughter of innocent young school children at Sandy Hook Elementary School moved the needle. Neither did a high school massacre in Florida. Neither did the mass killing of country music fans in Las Vegas. None of this has moved Mitch McConnell to move. This week he's moved even less. He's said to be working from home, recovering from a fractured shoulder after taking a fall on the patio of his Kentucky home. And then Monday morning came, bringing that promised presidential address to the American people. Without acknowledging his own words and deeds, Trump opened with a call for the condemnation of racism and white nationalism. He was calling on the American people to condemn these things while not condemning them himself as the nation's leader. But he also blamed the Internet, and he blamed video games, and he blamed mental illness. More important, though, is what Trump didn't say. He did not take responsibility for his own rhetoric and the effect it can have on his followers. As the Red Hats tell us over and over again, he says what I'm feeling. Trump did not address the domestic terrorism that now outguns Islamic terrorism. As president, he did not call Congress back to Washington for an emergency session. He didn't call for a ban on high-capacity magazines or military-style rifles. In fact, he would later say there's no political appetite for that, even though a majority of Americans support such a ban. He didn't call for mandatory background checks. Unlike a tweet earlier that day, he didn't even mention background checks. He would later. He has before. He had called for background checks before, after the Florida high school carnage, only to backpedal later. The lesson? Watch what he does, not what he says. He did not call for research into gun violence. He did not scold the NRA for its part in this, despite the more than $1.5 million he'd spent so far this year lobbying Congress. Mental illness and hatred pulled the trigger, said Trump, not the gun, reciting from the NRA playbook. He called for national unity, saying, now is the time to set destructive partisanship aside, even though he had just tweeted last week in all caps, Democrats are the true enemies of the people. In Trump's world, there were good people on the white supremacist side in Charlottesville. But when one of them uses a war weapon to kill Jews or Hispanics or Muslims, it's a mental health problem. It demands acknowledgement that most of the world's other nations also have video games and mental illness and even atheists, but without the mass shootings that occur in the U.S. What those other countries don't have is this many weapons of war in our cities and countrysides. Research published in the medical publication Preventive Medicine shows that people with access to firearms are 18 times more likely to threaten or harm someone and that there is no connection, no connection between most mental health symptoms and gun violence. Likewise, there's a ton of research into possible connections between video games and gun violence. We have studied it for 20 years, ever since Columbine. 
More than half of Americans between the ages of 18 and 49 play video games, and statistically, none of them are killers. At the end, Trump asked for the prayers of the people of Toledo. The latest gun slaughter was in Dayton, not Toledo. The president took no questions from reporters after his speech. Instead, he tweeted, Fake news has contributed greatly to the anger and rage that has built up over many years. The El Paso shooter's written statement also referred to fake news. By the way, to get our terms straight, the document is a creed, not a manifesto. Manifestos are delivered by public officials, not punks with weapons. Anyway, earlier, Trump had tweeted that he'd like to see new gun laws and background checks married with immigration reform. He didn't mention any of that in his speech. Yesterday, Trump traveled to both El Paso and Dayton to pay his respects. He did not get warm welcomes. Even the mayor of El Paso, who is a Republican and a Trump supporter, said he'd rather Trump had stayed away. Quoting El Paso's mayor, he is the president, so I will fulfill my obligations as mayor. And hoping to keep his city from being called out as Trump did with Baltimore, the mayor said, quote, we will not allow anyone to portray El Paso in a way that is not consistent with our histories and values. Current El Paso Congresswoman Veronica Escobar refused to meet with Trump, saying, I refuse to be an accessory. Former El Paso Congressman Beto O'Rourke made it clear the president wasn't welcome. Protests appeared in El Paso as well. Trump's campaign still owes that city at least a half million dollars for the security it provided for his last visit for a campaign rally in which he mischaracterized the history and the culture of El Paso. But El Paso is still in Texas, which in the wake of the gun slaughter there is about to welcome guns into schools, churches, and mosques. Good guys with guns did not save the day in El Paso. The police did. But Texas Republicans, like too many Americans, believe the answer to a gun problem is more guns. The NRA wouldn't have it any other way. In about three weeks, 10 new laws go into effect in Texas that relax the rules on where you can take a gun in public. About a month after 22 people were killed in a minute in that state, many of the victims' children, Texas will now allow guns in schools. These 10 bills will go into effect less than a month after the El Paso massacre were signed into law by Texas Governor Greg Abbott right after a school shooting in Houston that left 10 people dead. The mayor of Dayton, Ohio, meanwhile, said beforehand that she was not sure Trump would make it to her town. Quoting Dayton's mayor, he might be going to Toledo, I don't know. The big baby Trump balloon was already on hand in Dayton, however, just in case, holding a sign that read, Welcome to Toledo, with Toledo crossed out and replaced by Dayton. The big baby Trump balloon sign also read, Don't be a baby, stand up to the NRA. There was a protest demonstration. To greet the commander-in-chief, the protesters shouted, Do something. The city's unified grief had turned to partisan anger over the president's visit. Dayton's mayor stood with the protesters. In fact, she encouraged them. He's made this bed, she said, and he's got to lie in it. She said she would meet with the president, but she said she would absolutely tell him how unhelpful he has been. Dayton Congresswoman Candace Keller, however, welcomed Trump with open arms, even amid calls that she resign for making some bizarre claims. 
Congresswoman Keller had posted on Facebook that homosexual marriage, recreational marijuana, and Trump critics are to blame for the gun violence. She blamed family breakdown, open borders, athletes who disrespect the flag, Democrats, drag queens, a godless culture, and liberal snowflakes. She did not mention guns or white terrorism or Trump's inflammatory racial rhetoric. But Trump was not welcome in Dayton. Quoting an activist mom, Dayton has been through enough already. We don't want him here. But Trump went to those cities nevertheless, meeting only with a few victims and first responders and keeping the public's eyes blinded to those visits by barring reporters. Those who met with Trump were asked to sign waivers and posed for pictures for the taxpayer-funded White House photographer whose photos have already been put to political use in the Trump 2020 campaign, again at taxpayer expense. None of the eight surviving victims of the El Paso shooting at University Medical Center would meet with the president, some because they wanted no visitors, others because they didn't want that visitor. They also refused visits from Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz. Instead, Trump tweeted about the love and respect and enthusiasm he witnessed in the people who met with him. He told reporters of the love and respect for the office of the presidency, but he avoided any contact with the actual public, many of whom carried signs including, you are not welcome here. Trump also broke his promise to tone down his rhetoric by tweeting a string of attacks on the mayors and other elected officials who had either refused to meet with him or gave him an earful when they did. Trump lashed out at Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown and Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley, who had given him an earful. All of this comes at a very bad time for the NRA, which usually drives the pushback against gun control after a mass shooting. But this time, the gunmakers' lobby group was without Christopher Cox, the guy who had always back-channeled with the White House and congressional leaders. Also gone now, the NRA's longtime ad agency, the one that gave us Charlton Heston and the cold dead hand slogan. The NRA's being investigated by New York State, the District of Columbia, and the last we heard by the FBI for allegedly laundering money for the Trump campaign. There are calls from within for NRA Chief Executive Wayne LaPierre to resign, Board President Oliver North is already gone. Three NRA board members resigned just last week amid accusations of reckless spending. That has prompted regular NRA members to start withholding their money from that group until there's been some accounting. And there was a vigil outside the NRA's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, Monday that included a demand for lawmakers to take action on guns. The NRA and Mitch McConnell are both feeling the heat. Quoting Connecticut Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal, the vice lot grip of the whole gun lobby is breaking. Or maybe not the whole gun lobby. The more radical group, Gun Owners of America, is offering memberships at $15 apiece compared to the NRA's membership fee of $45. Sunday afternoon at Chase Field in Phoenix, the Diamondbacks were about to play the Washington Nationals. The announcer asked everyone to stand for a moment of silence in honor of the latest victims of mass gun violence. About one second into the silence, a fan shouted, How about doing something about it? Congress do something now was shouted into a sideline microphone that day by Philadelphia's soccer team captain Alejandro Bedoya. Do something 
is what hundreds of people shouted in unison on Sunday, drowning out Ohio's Republican governor as he tried to speak to a crowd that had turned out to honor the victims in Dayton. Video of this went viral. Do something became a Twitter hashtag. But then Ohio's Republican governor, Mike DeWine, did something. He did something surprising. The Republican politician with an A-plus rating from the NRA made a near 180 after the shooting in Dayton since his daughter had been right across the street from the gunfire when that slaughter occurred. DeWine introduced a package of 10 bills to increase background checks, to deliver harsher punishments to people who buy guns illegally, to focus on mental health, and to take guns from people deemed by the courts to be too mentally ill to handle their own affairs. The taking of guns from the unfit is known as a red flag law, and 17 states already have them. Red flag laws were made even more necessary since the first legislation passed by the Republicans when they took total control of the federal government in 2016 was to allow those deemed mentally ill by the courts to get guns. It's what the NRA wanted. So it was the first major legislation approved by what was then a Republican House along with a Republican Senate, and it was quickly signed and enthusiastically so by the newly sworn-in Republican president. How far Ohio Governor Mike DeWine will get with his proposals is not clear. He faces opposition from the state's Republican majority legislature and likely from Democrats who say his proposals don't go far enough. But for Mike DeWine, the needles seem to have moved nearly 180 degrees. DeWine's proposals do not deal with the types of weapons and ammo magazines we're seeing. He says that's a federal matter. Enter Ohio Republican Congressman Mike Turner, who's also turned around, supporting a ban on the sale of military-style weapons to civilians, limits on magazine capacity, and a national red flag law to keep guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. Feeling more heat now from the voters than from the NRA, Republican lawmakers are beginning to turn across the country. House Republican Adam Kinzinger of Illinois says he's had it, with the broken record debate over gun violence. He wants universal background checks, a 21-year-old age limit, and the banning of high-capacity magazines. Lindsey Graham's backing a federal red flag law. Pennsylvania Republican Senator Patrick Toomey says he's reviving his background checks bill. Senate Leader Mitch McConnell said he's open to working with Democrats on solutions to gun violence while still refusing to consider the gun control bills already passed by the House. Protesters also gathered outside McConnell's home on Monday night to demand action on guns. They knew he was home because McConnell's office said he was working from there while recovering from that broken shoulder. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, meanwhile, says red flag legislation will do little to curb the epidemic of gun violence, and he's calling the Republican embrace of it an ineffective cop-out. He wants more. The justice system was also doing something. It was sending a message to right-wing anarchists that domestic terror is a most serious crime. 57-year-old Cesar Sayoc, the man who sent unfinished pipe bombs to Trump's enemies in politics and the press, has been sentenced to 20 years in prison. Sayoc is the former bodybuilder and male stripper who drove around in a van covered with pro-Trump and other right-wing bumper stickers. He sent 16 explosive devices to 13 people, including Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Hillary Clinton, Robert De Niro, Kamala Harris, Eric Holder, Barack Obama, George Soros, 
Tom Steyer, Maxine Waters, former CIA Director John Brennan, former National Intelligence Director James Clapper, and CNN. Sayok, as documented by the prosecution, was a Fox News viewer. Salon.com's Bob Seska is focused this week on the guns and something almost as powerful, facts. Bob? Thank you, Buzz. For the first time I can remember, it feels like in the aftermath of both El Paso and Dayton, something is bending. I know, I know, we shouldn't get happy and the American gun culture isn't breaking yet, but it feels like there might actually be some hints of political will to move the dial back towards some form of sane regulations on these deadly for-profit retail products. So as we move from the mind-numbing shock of two more deadly massacres and into a debate about solutions, a debate that's sure to be ass deep in propaganda from the NRA and the Republican Party, it's important that we equip ourselves with copious facts that support further gun regulations. Here now are some pro-gun talking points and some facts to debunk them. Propaganda. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Reality. This is probably the most prevalent yet silliest line they've got. No, an inanimate object can't suddenly spring to life and kill anyone. But a firearm's intrinsic purpose is to kill and wound living beings. That's why guns exist. Likewise, while nuclear weapons and other WMD don't directly kill people without a human to launch them, we don't talk about eliminating the foreign leaders who possess those weapons. The goal is to roll back the existence and proliferation of nuclear weapons themselves. Ultimately, you can't change the mind of a killer but you can definitely take his toys away to make it more difficult for him to kill. So, no, guns don't kill people, but people with guns and bullets kill lots of people, around 30,000-plus per year in America. Propaganda. Mental illness, video games, and other forms of entertainment are to blame. Reality. This one's been around forever, it seems. After Virginia Tech, gun zealots blamed the movie Old Boy for the killer's rampage. The Columbine shooters were allegedly influenced by The Matrix. Shocking, though, that young men with a predisposition to violence are attracted to violent content. But there's zero evidence those games and movies directly influenced murderers and terrorists to commit real-world mass killings. And while mental illness is routinely a component in the profile of mass murderers, it's the availability of firearms that's the ultimate defining feature of every single massacre in American history. Furthermore, mental illnesses in video games exist in every nation, but it's only the United States that has the gun violence problem. Fact, Germany, Japan, Australia, England, France, South Korea, and the Netherlands all spend more per capita on video games than the United States. But the rate of gun violence is significantly lower in those nations, jaw-droppingly lower. Propaganda. Cars kill a lot of people and no one wants to ban them. Reality. Cars and drivers are heavily regulated by government at every level, from emission standards to annual inspections to safety features to insurance mandates and so forth. You can't legally drive a car that doesn't feature seatbelts or a car that spews too much exhaust into the air. You have to take both a written and a behind-the-wheel test to get a license to operate a car. You often have to renew that license at regular intervals and, if you're older, you have to prove that you're physically capable of driving a car. 
You can't drive a car while drinking alcohol or impaired by other chemicals. There are thousands of police officers patrolling our roads and, as most of us have experienced at one time or another, they will penalize or arrest you for improper handling of a car, with literally hundreds of laws to abide and considerable penalties ranging from fines to imprisonment to the government stripping you of your right to drive a car at all. So if gun rights zealots would prefer to keep repeating this car analogy, then let's talk about regulating guns and gun owners the same way we regulate cars and drivers. Propaganda. You can kill someone just as easily with a knife as you can with a gun. Reality. Outrageously wrong. Ask any soldier whether they'd prefer to attack an enemy with a knife or with their rifle. After they laugh in your face, they'll obviously tell you they prefer their rifle. During the American Civil War, soldiers would rarely, if ever, use their bayonets in combat because the experience of stabbing someone was much more visceral and gruesome than simply shooting them from a relative distance. Furthermore, how many mass stabbings, including meat cleavers, have there been in the United States? Well, there have been seven. Since 1901. Only seven in the last 118 years. On the other hand, how many mass shootings have there been in America this year alone? Well, according to CBS News, 255. Propaganda. It's safer to have a gun in the house or a concealed weapon on your person. Reality. No way. Not true. I'll let conservative writer and former Bush speechwriter David Frum take this one. Quote, a gun in the house minimally doubles the risk that a household member will kill himself or herself. Some studies put the increase in suicide risk as high as 10 times. An American is 50% more likely to be shot dead by his or her own hand than to be shot dead by a criminal assailant. Propaganda. Banning guns won't stop mass shootings because the crooks will still get all the guns they want. Reality. Australia, May 1996. A lone gunman killed 35 people and wounded an additional 23. Subsequently, Australia passed a very strict gun control law that included a buyback program that managed to recover 600,000 semi-automatic rifles and other firearms. 20% of all the known guns in Australia. There were no more private sales of firearms allowed. There were stringent registration laws and... As with other nations, you had to prove to authorities that you had a specific reason for purchasing a firearm. And no, according to Slate, self-defense wasn't a valid excuse. What happened after that? Quote, homicides by firearm plunged 59% between 1995 and 2006, with no corresponding increase in non-firearm-related homicides. The drop in suicides by gun was even steeper, 65%. Studies found a close correlation between the sharp decline and the gun buybacks. Robberies involving a firearm also dropped significantly. Meanwhile, home invasions did not increase, contrary to fears that firearm ownership is needed to deter such crimes. But here's the most stunning statistic. In the decade before the Port Arthur massacre in Australia, there had been 11 mass shootings in the country. 
There hasn't been a single one in Australia since that law was passed. All told, the facts are on the side of sane, rational, realistic government regulations on who can own what firearms. It's simply a matter of virally reinforcing those facts until the fetishists and NRA disciples finally break under the weight of informed popular opposition to the continued prevalence of these instruments of death. To repeat, something feels like it's bending out there and we only need to keep pushing before something breaks for the better. Trump and Moscow Mitch can't be allowed to slither away this time. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Get more of Mr. Seska at Salon.com, his Patreon page, and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at BobSeska.com. He'll have a fresh show this afternoon with Jody Hamilton and David Ferguson. I join Bob on his Tuesday shows. And while we were all preoccupied with guns and racism and domestic terror, the Trump administration conducted the biggest single-state immigration raid in U.S. history. Yesterday, nearly 700 immigrants were arrested at seven food processing plants near Jackson, Mississippi. More than 61,000 people are now being detained as illegal immigrants by U.S. immigration officials. Most of the 680 people arrested yesterday are parents who never came home from work that day to see the children who are now abandoned because of this massive immigration sweep. Volunteers have set up a makeshift shelter for the children at a local gymnasium. They are being given food, but many have not eaten yet because they haven't stopped crying. It's that cruelty and Trump's racist rhetoric, along with the Mueller report, that led to this moment. More than half the Democrats in the House and one Republican have now publicly called for the impeachment of this president. They go forth with the cautious blessing of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. It's making life harder for moderates like New Jersey Democratic Congressman Andy Kim, who still opposes impeachment because he just barely won his district as it was. At a town hall, a voter yelled, Why is it taking so long? I want him gone. Another yelled, Do your job. People are doing a lot of speaking up these days. Presidential candidates also called for Trump's impeachment, and California billionaire Tom Steyer spent hundreds of thousands of dollars last week on an ad promoting impeachment August. Unfortunate timing, since Congress is not in session this month. But pressure for impeachment may continue to grow during this congressional break, while the lawmakers are back home getting an earful about you-know-who. And maybe Tom Steyer was right about impeachment August. Jerry Nadler's House Judiciary Committee has just asked a federal court to force former White House counsel Don McGahn to testify. The lawmakers have gone to court to enforce a subpoena that McGahn and others in Trump world have disobeyed. Don McGahn, says a committee lawyer, has the goods on Donald Trump. Don McGahn, he says, is this generation's John Dean, a reference to Nixon's White House counsel. If the court rules with the Judiciary Committee and forces McGahn to testify, that would set a precedent for the others who've clammed up, including McGahn's deputy, Annie Donaldson, and Trump's longtime close confidant, Hope Hicks. Stay tuned. Text messages uncovered by an investigation by Elijah Cummings' House Oversight Committee have set off a federal investigation into the 2016 Trump campaign. The memos show that campaign officials ran candidate Trump's big energy speech by officials in the United Arab Emirates for their review and approval. 
two weeks before the big energy speech, the man who would oversee Trump's inauguration, Thomas Barrick, who does a lot of business in the Middle East, was asked by campaign chairman Paul Manafort, are you running this by our friends? In another email, Manafort noted, quote, another chance to make our Gulf friends happy. All that adds yet another investigation to the long list of investigations into Trump, the candidate, and the president. Momentum for impeachment may grow even more if we soon see the entire unredacted Mueller report, and we might. A federal judge Monday said he's considering releasing the entire report, nothing blacked out. For all that the Mueller report revealed, there are nearly 1,000 items covered with black bars, each color-coded to explain why it was redacted. BuzzFeed News and the Electronic Privacy Information Center went to court to get the redacted material revealed. And Monday, the judge, a judge appointed by George W. Bush, said he grows more skeptical each day of the government's reasons for wanting this stuff covered up. D.C. District Judge Reggie Walton said, This is about open government. He says hiding things erodes the public's trust in our criminal justice system. With the black bars removed, we expect to learn why the special counsel didn't file charges against Jared Kushner and Donald Trump Jr. We also expect that whatever the judge decides, it will be appealed. And New York state prosecutors have subpoenaed Trump's family business pumping new life into the investigation of that company's part in hush money payments to Stormy Daniels that are apparent violation of the state's campaign finance laws. The Trump Organization's attorney calls it a political hit job. Despite the nation's attention to gun violence and hatred, Moscow Mitch was neither gone nor forgotten, and with more reason. In the House last year, Republicans joined Democrats in voting to impose sanctions on Russia's aluminum king, oligarch Oleg Deripaska, who's closely tied with the Kremlin. McConnell shut that down in the Senate, calling the bill a political stunt. Three months later, Deripaska's aluminum company announced it was investing $200 million in McConnell's home state of Kentucky. McConnell insisted there was no connection. A man who owns just over one-fifth of that Russian aluminum company donated $3.5 million to McConnell's Senate Leadership Fund. Another Russian oligarch sanctioned by the U.S., Putin's friend Viktor Vexelberg, donated millions more to Republicans, including Trump's inauguration, which is also under investigation. And we have just learned that two of McConnell's former staffers have signed on as lobbyists for that Russian aluminum company. McConnell, meanwhile, refuses to allow a vote on any legislation that would keep Russia and other countries out of our elections. Hmm. Tuesday, we learned that the U.S. ambassador to Russia, John Huntsman, is leaving that post, apparently by his own choice. Huntsman wants to go back to his home state of Utah to deal with his stage one melanoma and maybe to run for governor there. Donald Trump, who will choose Huntsman's successor, says he discussed Huntsman's departure on the phone last week with Vladimir Putin. Also Tuesday, Trump sued California over its new law requiring presidential candidates to disclose their income tax returns or be left off that state's primary ballots. Trump's attorneys called the law unconstitutional. There's an easy fix, Mr. President, tweeted California Governor Gavin Newsom, adding, release your tax returns as you promised during the campaign and follow the precedent of every president since 1973. 
Other blue states are expected to follow California's lead, in some cases depending on how the Trump lawsuit goes. Trump is also suing New York State, the House Ways and Means Committee, the House Oversight Committee, his own accounting firm, and now the state of California, all for the purpose of keeping his tax returns secret. It's almost as if he has something to hide. Less than a week after Trump nominated John Ratcliffe as his next national intelligence director, Ratcliffe backed out. Trump was excited about Ratcliffe because the Texas congressman had been a fierce and loyal defender, calling the Russia investigation illegitimate. Democrats were unanimously opposed to this nomination. Republicans hadn't said much, but the word on the Hill was they didn't like it. McConnell signaled to the president that the nominee didn't stand much of a chance. There were, you see, other problems, including Ratcliffe's total lack of experience in the field of intelligence. He had just landed on the Intelligence Committee six months ago, and that was it. Complicating things further, Ratcliffe did some crazy exaggerating on his resume, claiming he'd arrested 300 illegal immigrants in just one day. He claimed he'd prosecuted terrorists, but a check of the records doesn't show Ratcliffe's name on any of the court papers for any of the alleged terrorists who've been run through the system. In short, Ratcliffe was lying about everything. And when he and Trump realized the gig was up, John Ratcliffe faded back into his minority party in the House of Representatives. Next. Until the next nominee comes along, Sue Gordon, who's currently the Deputy Director of National Intelligence, will fill in as, say it with me, Acting Director. I like Sue, said Trump, continuing, Sue Gordon's there now, and I like her very much. I've always liked her. Certainly she'll be considered for the acting Sue, as fate would have it, is a big Trump supporter and also believes it was a politically biased FBI that launched the investigation into Russia and Trump. But Sue Gordon recently announced she's looking forward to retiring. Stay tuned. Why does Trump continue to nominate unqualified people only to be forced to withdraw those nominations later? Why doesn't the Trump White House just vet the possible nominees beforehand and save everyone a lot of time, trouble, and expense? The answer, of course, is that Trump rules by his gut, not by government norms like vetting. In the meantime, no one is better at speaking out of both sides of his mouth than Donald Trump, except when he has trouble forming the words. This week, Trump blamed the lamestream media for making him withdraw the Ratcliffe nomination. And then, later, he told reporters outside the White House that rather than vet these people as a normal White House does, he prefers to let the press vet his nominees. In other words, Trump counts on the media he decries as lamestream fake news to conduct the background checks for him. Since taking office, Trump, who promised voters the best people, has withdrawn well over five dozen bad nominations, an all-time record. As we have been reminded nearly every day for more than two and a half years now, none of this is normal. How hot was it? Is there hope for Hollywood? And lightning strikes the home office. Final segment after this. This is the part where you can help. You're listening at such a crucial time in our history because you know the importance of honest, independent journalism and how important it is to support that. I would be very grateful if you'd stop by my webpage, buzzburbank.com, and click that gold donate button 
which helps cover expenses for research, equipment, and supplies. You'll find other useful stuff there, too. Your support is what keeps this newscast going, keeping it independent and free for the listening. If you're able, you can do as others have done and schedule a regular monthly donation or just kick in something when you can or just hear something you like. On your desktop browser, that gold donate button's on the upper right at buzzburbank.com. On your phone, it's just above the title Buzzburbank News and Comment. Thank you to those of you who support this free and independent reporting through the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. It's been a roller coaster week for our economy and our 401ks as the Trump trade war escalates. It began with yet another threat from Trump to slap an additional 10% tariff on $300 billion worth of Chinese imports if China won't give him a new trade deal. These tariffs, to supposedly begin September 1st, would most likely be covered by American consumers as they pay more for sneakers, cell phones, and a host of other popular items. China responded to the threat by devaluing its currency for one day, just long enough to cause a 767-point drop in the Dow, damaging people's retirement money. The Trump administration responded to China's retaliation by designating China as a currency manipulator, escalating the fight even more. China brought its currency back up to an acceptable level the very next day, so The damage lasted just long enough to send a message to Trump that there's more where that came from. But China has now officially stopped buying all U.S. agricultural goods. That will be a blow to the farmers in Trump country, since China was, until now, their fourth biggest customer. Apple has long prided itself on being the protector and defender of its customers' privacy. But the shine has faded from the Apple. Its current iPhone operating system will not allow us to opt out of face recognition on photos. And now we've learned that Siri has been listening to us when we thought she wasn't. Like Amazon and Google, Apple uses contractors to constantly evaluate how accurately the voice-activated assistant is working. But those contractors found themselves listening to Siri recordings of people making drug deals and people having sex. You couldn't opt out of this eavesdropping either, but Apple, now that this has been exposed, says you will be able to opt out in the future. Apple also says it has suspended the contractor grading program, just as Google had done last month. Amazon's Alexa, meanwhile, is still listening, and its contractors are still hearing. A new lawsuit filed in Philadelphia accuses the Boy Scouts of America of keeping secret Hundreds of previously undisclosed cases of sexual abuse, including the case of a 57-year-old man who says he was molested hundreds of times in the 1970s. The lawsuit accuses BSA of negligence and reckless misconduct. It cites victims who are currently as old as 88 and as young as 14. These newly reported victims came forward after a group called Abused in Scouting ran national TV ads asking former victims to come forward to, quote, protect tomorrow's children. The advocacy group Child USA says 52 is the average age for a man to come forward to talk about their own abuse as children. And quoting the founder of Child USA, I don't think the public is prepared for the tsunami of information about hidden child sex abuse. July is always one of the hottest months of the year, but this year was the hottest July ever. In fact, 
This year was the hottest month ever. Quoting the U.N. Secretary General, this is not the summer of our youth. This is not your grandfather's summer. We're on track for this to be one of the top three warmest years on record. How hot was it? The Washington Post checked around the world. A record heat wave swept Western Europe. Remember hearing it was 109 in Paris? In July, Greenland ice melted into 197 billion tons of water in the North Atlantic, raising sea levels. Alaska's ice is gone. In Switzerland, they were painting the railway tracks white to keep them from buckling in the heat. They lowered the speed limit on the Autobahn in Germany to prevent heat damage to the roads. A motorcyclist was stopped by police in Berlin for wearing nothing but a helmet. Lists of air-conditioned places were posted online. Air conditioners sold out, and an air conditioner installation company stopped taking calls. In the Netherlands, a TV station just aired pictures of ice and snow to try to make people feel cooler. They don't have a lot of air conditioners in the Netherlands. It was so hot that in Belgium, the tigers in the zoo were fed frozen chickens served in blocks of ice. In Antwerp, a couple of drug dealers who'd gotten trapped inside a shipping container full of cocaine called the police to get them out. But a cotton farmer in India watched as the unrelenting 102-degree heat cracked the soil, starved his livestock, and left his village without drinking water. A new United Nations report warns that our croplands and water sources are being exploited at unprecedented rates, putting serious pressure on the ability of humanity to feed itself. Soil is being lost much faster than it's forming, and a half billion people already live in places that are becoming desert land. The report says the window for addressing that threat is closing quickly and that food shortages will cause mass migration across national borders. Proposals for addressing the threat include reevaluating land use, wasting less food, and shifting our diets away from meat. Florida is not the first state to declare a public health emergency over hepatitis A, but it is the latest with over 2,000 victims. Emergencies have been declared as well in Philadelphia, Kentucky, Ohio, Mississippi, and West Virginia. At least two dozen states have had outbreaks at some point recently. It's a disease of the liver, usually picked up at restaurants, but can be picked up any number of places. Hep A is a fecal virus that infects the liver and begins with flu-like symptoms that last about two months. It can be prevented by getting a Hep A vaccination and a lot of hand-washing. A seven-year-old boy in India has set the world record for having the most teeth. His parents say the boy's jaw began to swell when he was three, but they felt he was too young for surgery, so they waited until he was seven as the swelling increased. Dental surgeons found a mass inside the boy's mouth that contained 526 teeth, each one with a root and a crown, like pearls in an oyster, said the surgeon. Novelist Toni Morrison won the Pulitzer Prize and the Medal of Freedom, but she also got four of her novels into Oprah's book club. Toni Morrison has now passed at the age of 88 after a life of dancing with words in a powerful way as she described the black experience. Morrison wrote of a black girl who wished she had blue eyes and a slave woman who killed her own child to protect that child from a life of slavery. She also wrote biographies on Angela Davis and Muhammad Ali. 
She referred to Bill Clinton as our first black president since he was as close as she thought we would get in her children's lifetimes. Not ten years later, Barack Obama was elected. The latest Fast and Furious installment, Hobbs and Shaw, is the top movie in U.S. and Canadian theaters this week. With a $61 million take in its opening weekend, The Lion King stayed strong in the second spot with over $38 million additional dollars. Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also stayed a strong third with another $20 million after opening at $41 million last week. Those are the highest numbers for an original movie in two years. Not a sequel, not part of the franchise, and it's summer. Does this mean there is hope for more original material from Hollywood? If you care to cast your vote, the box office is just a click away with the Fandango logo at buzzburbank.com. In Winter Garden, Florida, something rocketed out of the sky and ripped a hole in the screened enclosure over a woman's swimming pool. It hit the patio with a whack the woman describes as louder than a gunshot before it bounced into the pool with a splash. That something turned out to be a fuel cap from an airplane. About eight inches in diameter, the type used on commercial planes. It could have killed me, said the woman. It could have killed my dog. Our highway spills of the week take us to Germany and Chicago, It was in Berlin that a truck carrying crates of beer spilled 10,000 bottles of beer on the road, more than $13,000 worth of German beer. The driver was sober but cited for failing to properly secure his load. Meanwhile, 10,000 bottles of beer on the road. And it was a case of spilled wine in Chicago after two trucks collided on I-95 on the south side. Many cases of wine, in fact containing hundreds of bottles, most of which shattered on impact with the pavement after the semi-capsized. It was not the happy hour after all, but the 40,000-pound mess did get cleaned up in time for the morning rush. From our Department of Reptiles, it was in Gardner, Kansas, an outer suburb of Kansas City, that a woman named Holly stopped at the Minute Mart to fill up her gas tank. But when it came time to touch the touchscreen, she decided not to touch it. Instead, she took a picture of the big snake that was slithering beneath the plexiglass protecting the touchscreen, and she took the photo inside of the attendant. She paid for her gas there at the cash register. She wasn't about to touch the touchscreen with the big snake in it. The attendant says he removed the snake the next day and freed it. He says the plexiglass must have magnified the snake because he says it really wasn't big at all. Chicagoans now know how much it cost them to remove the alligator from its Humboldt Park, nearly $34,000. Most of it went to paying workers to put up, move, and take down barricades to separate Chance the Snapper from the general public. Another 5000 went to pay and cover the expenses for the Florida Gator Wrangler, who was flown into the Windy City for a gatorectomy. But this week, police with a search warrant entered a home in Chicago to find guns, drugs, and another alligator. The workers at a recycling plant in Humboldt County, California, were advised to keep an eye out for a shoebox. It was full of paper, paper money. It was the life savings of an Oregon man who had accidentally tossed it into a recycling bin. The box contained $23,000 when it was accidentally thrown out. 
That Northern California Recycling Company is where the money went, and that's where it was recovered. The box of money had traveled with other recyclables over 200 miles, and only $320 had fallen out. Identical twins aren't totally identical when it gets down to the details. It was time for the Twins Day Festival at Twinsburg, Ohio, and twins Andy and Chad Baker were driving separately from Nashville to Twinsburg in a two-car caravan. They got pulled over when a state trooper noticed they also had what appeared to be identical license plates. In reality, one of the twins has a zero in his license plate number, while the other instead has the letter O. This was the second time the two men had been stopped together in two years. And finally, let's go out with a bang. And with a short and simple story from the home office in Florida, the lightning capital of the world. In Port Charlotte, Florida, not an hour north of Fort Myers, a bolt of lightning struck a septic tank filled with methane gas from human waste. The lightning hit the tank and the tank exploded in what the owner describes as the loudest sound she's ever heard. She says she also smelled smoke. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for your support to the donate button at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.